From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up presents Danny Flecka in his weekly spot. And Danny is here because the NFL draft order has been totally upended um, by moves this weekend. And you were having a nice weekend, Danny, and suddenly um, shit got crazy to, to be vulgar there for a second. But first of all, welcome back to Teeing It Up. Back. Yeah, and secondly, um, okay, we've we've got a lot going on here. Um, we've got the Miami Dolphins, uh, who shipped the number three pick to San Fran for number twelve, and then the Dolphins are like, "Yeah, we want to get back up," and they move to number six, um, and and the Eagles move back to number twelve. So we've got two teams. The Dolphins, who said that they were all in on Tua. And the 49ers that say that they are all in on Jimmy Garoppolo, with a source telling Adam Schefter, quote, Jimmy is here to stay. He's our guy this year. Uh, We've heard that statement many times, Danny, for many players in many sports, and that doesn't always prove true. Um, So when, when you saw these push notifications come through over the last 24 hours. What were your thoughts? I think I think you hit the nail on the head on a couple of things, right? I think we saw three teams show their hand and how they're approaching the season and their future. One, San Francisco has decided that Jimmy Garoppolo, while what they're saying might be true, is only their guy for maybe eight games this year. If they don't trade him, because their intention, it looks like, is going to be the draft, the QB that's going to be taking his spot. You then have Miami go back in the draft, then trade back up. They still have an arsenal of picks at their disposal. And their thought process is going to be that we're going to build around to uh, whether that's taking the top pass catcher available or one of the top linemen available. They're going to build around Tua and see what they have there. And you have the Eagles that might have had a shot at a quarterback or a top offensive lineman or even one of the top pass catchers say, while those are nice pieces to possibly have, we need to look long-term, evaluate what we have in Jalen Hurts, build back this roster up because it's been aging and they've had some poor veteran signings, and get some more draft capital for the future, and also be able to take one of the top 15 prospects in the draft this year. A fascinating trade that happened, to be honest, because you have San Francisco, who is in a a weird spot where they are understanding that their roster is pretty much ready-made to make a run at a Super Bowl. Um, People forget, I think, you know, how deep that roster was uh, going into last year and the injury that they had along the defensive line and their secondary sort of limited them. They still performed, I thought, way above expectations given everything they had go on, look at this opportunity and say, hey, we have our key pieces locked up for the next four to five years. We have a quarterback that we believe in, but we don't necessarily think it takes us over the hump. And this quarterback is deep. We've identified two or three of them that might be able to help us in the future. Let's take a shot and go after that. And then the opposite with Miami. They've identified that we have a good roster, 
but we still need other pieces to elevate us. So how can we make that happen? And they trade back, they trade back up, but still have a, a good draft capital. That, an absolutely fascinating trade, one I did not see, have, see coming. Um, and one that I think, one of my first needs, one of my first reactions, I, I uh, chatted you this, but I think the Jets may have missed out here. Because I think that they had the opportunity at number two to maybe dangle that pick to San Francisco and say, hey, do you want this pick? You know, we might want to build around Sam Darnold and invest in him and get some cheaper options. So a lot of maneuvering happening, a lot of thought, a lot of, you know, things that could change still. But before your thoughts, I thought the Jets were my immediate team that came to mind that maybe they missed out on an opportunity here. Well, a couple things. Um Number one, according to Adam Schefter, um, the Jets were satisfied. Sorry, the uh, 49ers talked to the Dolphins, Bengals, Falcons, then ultimately decided number three was okay because they were satisfied with the options that'll be there after the Jags and the Jets. That makes it seem like the Jets know what they're doing. The Jets sent everybody and, you know, everybody and everybody to Zach Wilson of BYU's Pro Day. So we've got a whole lot of moving pieces uh, going here. And um, it seems... <coughs> excuse me. It seems as if the Jets, under that line of thinking, know what they're doing. That would lead to Zach Wilson... You mentioned the name Trey Lance. I had not heard of Trey Lance, and I had to look around and uh, get to know Mr. Lance. Um, So when you say that the Jets are missing out, um, what do you... Are you saying that Lance is a better prospect in your mind than Zach Wilson or Justin Fields? I think the Jets missed out in the sense that I think that if they wanted to build around Darnold, and they have a couple of draft picks this year, if they could have gotten the San Francisco pick, they have the Seattle pick, and then they would have had future picks this year and then next year, that they could have really built around Sam Darnold and really have looked at maybe you know an offensive lineman this year or uh, you know another wide receiver perhaps and, and build, maybe build some of that defense. But to me, that again, like you said, it looks like the writing's on the wall that Jack Wilson's the guy that Jets want to want to build around, and that's where they're going to focus their draft their drafting strategy moving forward on. Look, I've been adamant that I want to build around Sam Darnold. That is what I have said for a while I thought that was the best move I I don't want another new quarterback in the quarterback carousel um so I I I would be disappointed but I am intrigued that Zach Wilson does seem to be the more NFL ready quarterback than a Justin Fields so that I I have very mixed feelings about this. Um, I I believe that trading back and being able to build around Darnold is the right way to go versus um, going forward. Now there there's a fourth team involved in all this, and that is the New England Patriots. Because some thought that there would be this moving piece deal where Deshaun Watson goes to the Jets, Sam Darnold goes to the Niners, and Jimmy Garoppolo goes to the Patriots. 
the Patriots re-signed Cam Newton, seem to have given up on Jared Stidham, and now are just floating out there trying to figure out what they're doing. So from a Patriots perspective, we know how Bill Belichick feels about Jimmy Garoppolo just in terms of a quarterback. If he was, if he had no jersey, um, you know, and, and there was no tampering things or anything like that, you know, any tampering rules, Bill Belichick would speak the praises of Jimmy Garoppolo. So where, as somebody who's in Boston, where right now is our, our, our Patriot fans and what's the thinking about what the Patriots are wanting to do because they appear to be the trading partner for Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah, I think they're they're torn, right? I think there's a, a faction of the of the fan group that wanted had to make this trade that the Niners just made, where they could start fresh and they can get a new quarterback and they can build around the future. And there's half that want to be back. And I just don't see Bill Belichick paying a premium for a guy that he knows. I think he's patient enough to wait it out. But that means that you're riding with Cam Newton for a full year, and that's, that's it, right? So I don't know if the Pats are going to be aggressive in getting Jimmy Garoppolo, if the 49ers are really in the camp of, like, you know, we have Jimmy for one more year. God forbid he gets injured again because that's been his, his, uh, his pattern, unfortunately, in San Francisco, is getting injured and missing time. That they could say, hey, like, even if we miss Jimmy for a period of time next year, we have his successor, and we're in a much better shape than we were this year, and the year he tore his ACL, we have a roster that can compete, at least that we know we can still compete if we miss out on him, if he misses time. I think that's the approach that we're just taking, so I don't know how motivated they are to, to get Jimmy off the hook. It, it doesn't seem like cap, the cap is an issue for them in that sense, but then it becomes, if they are motivated to move him, who's going to be the highest bidder? Is it going to be Chicago? Is it going to be maybe, you know, a, a dark horse team like New Orleans that would be interested in him? Um, or is, is New England willing to say, hey, we'll give you our first-round pick for Jimmy. That way we don't have to play this game and wait it out. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how the next couple of weeks shake out because San Francisco now holds all the cards and that quarterback carousel that that you just mentioned between Watson, Garoppolo, and uh, Darnold exists only in San Francisco's scenario. They're the only ones that can make that domino fall. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out and what teams are willing now that free agency is sort of passed that are willing to take on a, a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Sam Darnold. Um. I really like what the Giants have done this offseason. And I bring this up here um, as when you look at a team that knows what they have for the quarterback, you know what they need to do to get better. And that's what the Giants have done this offseason. And every single one of their signings was, was with a purpose and every single one of their signings on paper makes them better. You don't win a Super Bowl in March, but they seem to have made steps towards it. A, as a Giants fan, your thought. B, is this what you think the Jets should have done? 
So, I mean, it's, it's giant signings you can find. A lot of people that like them and a lot of people that don't like them. You know, the ones that don't like them say they've overpaid. And, and I, I personally am over all of these talking heads talking about the size of the contract these free agents get. That's what free agency is. And you're paying a premium. And you're paying on potential and past performance. I get it. It's signing a Dory Jackson to a $40 million a year contract, $40 million contract, is that business decision? Probably not. But he's at a, he's at, at a premium position where you need to overpay. Same thing with Kenny Galladay. Firstly, I think they had to make these moves. They could not sit around anymore and allow the teams around them to continue to get better and not have that opportunity to at least playing the same field, playing the same ballpark as them. The Galladay signing I thought was necessary and almost mandatory. They had to go out and get a top wide receiver. Once Allen Robinson went off the market with the franchise tag um, and some other wide receivers had the franchise tag put on them like Godwin, they had no other option. And Galladay was, was a piece I think that they needed to get for a number of different reasons. Yet, his time in Detroit ended badly. I think a lot of players in Detroit, their time there ended badly. And I'll put that more on their experience than on their performance. Um, you know, put yourself in his shoes. If you got hurt and you had to come back, you knew you were in a free agency year, or at least, you know, getting franchise tag, would you want to risk, you know, millions and millions of dollars playing for a coach that you didn't believe in? No, I, I wouldn't do that either. So I understand where he was coming from on that. And he gives them an opportunity to have a player on the field that they haven't had probably since Plasco Burris. Uh, a big wide receiver that you know you can throw contested balls up to, opens up your offense and gives you that opportunity to call plays I don't think that they've called in a long, long time. Um, so that signing to me was absolutely mandatory. And, and whatever they had to pay for him, so be it. The cap's going to rise in the next couple of years. The way the contract is set up, you know, I took a look at it. It's, I thought pretty favorable for them, um, and, and they do have, you know, the future to, to take into consideration too. Throwing Shepard has two more years left on this deal. Darius Wayne has two has two more years left, and Evan Ingram is a free agent after this year. So that was a move they had to make. Um, and then Adoree Jackson too. I thought they did overpay for him a little bit, but if he's healthy, even if he is the 25th best corner in the league. He gives you a, a position and a player that you haven't had now opposite James Bradbury and lets you now go into the draft, I think, in a position of strength. They can take whoever they think the best player on the board. They can understand that they can trade back if they have a team you know, if the draft board falls and there's a quarterback still left and the team wants that guy. They might be in that position where they can trade back and get some more picks. And, and now, to me, what this signals, and I've been saying this since they made the signing, the people I talked to, is now the pressure's on Daniel Jones. There's no more of this, we are waiting for Daniel Jones to come out. If he had, if he trots out there week one with Barkley, Shepard, Ingram, Galladay, Slayton, there's no more of, okay, we have to wait for Daniel Jones to come, come into his own. So the pressure's on him now. So, you mentioned them finding out what they have a quarterback. They're going to find out pretty quick, right? Because they cannot wait another year for this guy to figure out what he is. Otherwise, all these signings, then you look back and say they were stupid. So, year three for Daniel Jones is big. And, and the hope is, and I hope, 
too, even as a football fan, if I'm not a Giants fan, that you're seeing guys like Barkley and Galladay out there every single week so you can at least enjoy the product that's being put out on the field. So the, the pressure's now shifted. The, the coaching staff and the GM have put the players right now in front of Daniel Jones to be successful. We'll see if he is. When you look at the general um, landscape of NFL free agency, either what deals stick out to you or what stuck out to you in general as Danny Flecker joins us here on Teeing It Up. Yeah, I think what Tampa Bay was able to do was really interesting. Um, I don't know if I'm a fan of bringing everybody back on your team that won you uh, a championship it is always the right move. Uh, taking into consideration that some of these guys, like Leonard Fournette and uh, Indominus Sue and, and Shaq Barrett, they're not younger players. They're, you know, they're older players. Uh, but I think if you're Tampa Bay, you understand that you have Tom Brady, and if you can take that opportunity to keep continuity, you might as well do that. So I thought what they did, I don't want to say it was impressive, but it was interesting. I wanted to see, obviously, how this all shakes out. Like, is Leonard Fournette all of a sudden a new type of player or was he the player that was in Jacksonville the last two years that, that got hot and faded at, at times you know will he be able to produce as he did the last eight weeks of the season I thought Jacksonville and their cap space and their ability to maybe build a roster around potential getting Trevor Lawrence was interesting as well they didn't really dive into the free agency at all at all and that's really different than what they've done the last five or six years. So I thought their approach was, was interesting. And then I look at the Chicago Bears and think about, like, what the heck are they doing? Uh, getting rid of their top corner, getting rid of Mitchell Trubisky, keeping Nick Cole, and signing Andy Dalton. I, I don't know what they're up to over there. They still have a terrible offensive line. Uh, their skill positions are still a little bit weak. I don't know what Chicago's doing. So those are the three teams to me that I look at free agency, and they all took different approaches, and a lot of it was based off of what they currently have. Uh, But I thought if I was Jacksonville, maybe I would have been a little bit more aggressive in in the market just because you're going to have a rookie QB. You can maybe afford to give some people one, two-year deals and overpay a little bit, but at least allow the team to be be cut constituted in a way that would allow him to be successful. So it's like Jacksonville going the route of, you know, we're going to build through the draft and, and have the players grow at the same time as our, as our future QB. Were you surprised to see Trubisky go to uh, Buffalo to be Josh Allen's backup? No, and I thought that was a good signing by, by Buffalo because I think as an insurance plan, they wanted a quarterback that could maybe do a lot of the same things that Josh Allen could do. Um, and on the market, Trubisky was the best guy available. Um, I think for him, it was uh, a situation where he needs to go and rehab some of his value. I don't know what his future is going to look like, and he's going to ever have an opportunity to start again. Uh, but from a signing perspective, Buffalo did a really good job of getting identifying somebody that they could understand that and say, Josh Allen were to go out, we could still do a lot of the things that we want to do offensively, even if we have uh, a lesser quarterback in, uh, behind center. We've talked a lot, you and I have, uh, privately, about fake money and this move in the NFL because of the cap going up with the new TV deal soon, even with 
the impacts of the pandemic, uh, lowering it for this year, then you fuck it with us here on teeing it up, to where a lot of these deals have fake money and fake years, and there's going to be a, a really robust free agent market going forward. When you look at some of these contracts, are you surprised by the money, or are you not surprised considering that a lot of it is fake? I'm not surprised at all because these players, you want to look at what they're getting guaranteed. And then if you go and you look and you see, like on overthecap.com, where they have the breakdowns of like all these contracts, you want to see like when is the team able to get rid of these contracts. So if you're paying for a player for, again, say you give him $45 million guaranteed and in the first two years of a five-year contract, he gets all that money. That means after year three, any additional money tied to that contract is, is technically not real. Like, you can get rid of that player and not have a cap hit. So the way that these teams structured their contracts was specific. They made sure that one, year one, which was this year, that they could still get these players under contract. They could give them, they could have a, a, a small cap hit that didn't necessarily triple their opportunity to be flexible. And then understand that next year the cap is going to go up and that more of that guaranteed money will kick in, but they're not beholden to these players after two or three years. And I think the players understand that too. And depending on how old they are, they maybe want to say to themselves, yeah, give me, give me a five-year contract, but pay me for two years, and if I have to, for some reason, get released or you trade me, I'm still in the market to potentially get re-signed again and make more money. So these contracts are not a surprise. That's why when all these people come out and say, like, look at all this money this player is getting, blah, 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 you know, he's going to get X amount of money over five years. That's just not how it's working out. So the, the cap, in my mind, is just arbitrary number that these teams try to, try to operate around. And the players know that, GMs know that, and they're going to structure these contracts to make sure that if there's an opportunity for them to get out from under it, they're going to get out from under it. And the players are looking, at the same time, how can I make the most money possible, as quickly as possible, and also afford myself that opportunity to potentially make another another contract in two or three years. As we sit here on Teeing It Up on a Sunday morning, um, March 28th of 2021, two things. Um, we're we're going to do one more NFL thing, and then we're going to move on, and, and we're going to put a little golf thing in, in between. Um when you look at the Saints situation, they re-signed Jameis Winston. They still have Taysom Hill. Drew Brees is retired and retired for good. Um, who's the starting quarterback week one if both Hill and Winston are healthy? My belief is that it's Taysom Hill. Yeah, I think I think both quarterbacks don't have a huge investment in there. And again, big money, the Taysom Hill contract. One of the dumbest contracts I've ever seen in my entire life given out there. But, again, it gives the Saints flexibility. Uh, I think, I think personally, if, if uh, Sean Payton has his way and, and things work out the way he wants to do, I think my gut means Jameis Winston. Um, but we all know the affinity he had for Stephen Hill. So if Stephen Hill is a starting quarterback, I would not at all be surprised. But I do think Winston allows him to play a little bit more like they did with Drew Brees, although yes, you lose a lot of efficiency uh, in your offense. I still think Winston is more of that replication of what you've done with Drew Brees and Peyton Hill is. 
Got to be one heck of a rehab contract if the first NFL player to go 30-30 in history is able to be the Saints' long-term solution. Yeah, I don't know if he's long-term. I think he's a 2021 option. Um, and the Saints have a lot of maneuvering they need to do themselves in the cap to figure out what their long-term situation is. But when I look at what Taysom Hill provides and I look at the Saints' roster, a lot of what Taysom Hill does is replicated already. You have Alvin Kamara. You have Michael Thomas. If you want to be able to utilize those people, the best person to utilize those people, I think, is Davis Winston. So if I'm Sean Payton, I'm building my offense around what Winston can do more than what Hill can do. Because Hill, while I understand some of the electric plays he can provide, I just don't think from a 16-game perspective can be as efficient as you need based off of what the Saints have done for the last 20 years. You want that, that pure passer. You want that individual that can make those reads. You want to utilize the skill sets of the players around them that they have available. So I, I think New Orleans is better, better suited to go to Jameis Winston. But, again, John Payne has his affinity for Taysom Hill, and I wouldn't be surprised if, he, he goes with Taysom Hill to start off, and if he's not getting what he needs, goes to Winston in you know, week three or four. You were watching golf yesterday um, <clears throat> and was really impressed by Victor Perez, and, and he's been so impressive this week. Um, and he's in a semifinal match right now as we speak with Billy Horschel. Billy Horschel won up through one. Um, at the Dell Technologies match play. And the thing about Victor Perez is he's been very successful in Europe. He comes over to Austin. He's been playing a bunch of practice rounds with Sergio. And then he faces Sergio in the quarters and is, is able to beat him. And it was just really impressive to see how steady he was, how good his ball striking was, and some clutch putting, which you got to do in match play. As you look at Victor Perez, um, it, it seems like you're really impressed with somebody who was not on your radar golf-wise previously. Yeah, match, match play is an interesting concept. I, I don't know if golf can, can institute more of it, but when you play a regular tournament, you're really playing against yourself. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of times that the people that you're playing with in your group or in your tee time maybe aren't even competing for the same spot that you're competing for. But I think from a, a, that perspective, it takes a lot of mental fortitude to stay focused, to stay competitive. Whereas in match play, you're playing directly against somebody and you have that organic competition already there. And some golfers are just better in that type of field. Um, you know, there's a lot of these golfers that maybe in stroke play struggle with that, would struggle with that ability to and keep themselves motivated uh, for a number of different reasons. The match play is a direct one-on-one competition. You win or you lose, and you go home. Um, and maybe these golfers, I think especially in Europe, you know, we've, we've seen Americans struggle in the Ryder Cup formats that are match play and yeah. straight-up competition. Maybe the Europeans are just a little bit better suited for that because they have more of that experience doing that. And, and you see that in, in this tournament, right? You see them being able to to compete and go out there. I don't know if the other golfers are, are American-born golfers in, in the semifinals and potentially in the finals, but the European golfers do, I think, probably have a little bit more experience in this type of format. Uh, that's how they play. That is, they play more 
and especially alternate shot. They play way more alternate shot in Europe than we do here in the U.S. growing up, and that's what has been so successful in the Ryder Cup for Europe is that format, which is not played um, recreationally here in the U.S. The other semifinal is Kucher versus Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler went to the University of Texas. This event is at Austin Country Club. If you were Scotty Scheffler, would you wear UT colors today or would you stay away from that? Because he's going to have a huge hometown contingent rooting him on. Would you play into that or would you wear a different color to keep your mind away from what's happening around you? I mean, these golfers are creatures of habits, right? They have... I think I remember you and I talking about Max Homa, right? And yeah. Mr. Tiger got hurt that he was getting blasted on Twitter because he didn't wear red on Sunday where a lot of golfers were doing that. Yeah. And he was like, listen, I am contractually obligated to wear certain things on certain days because of my sponsors. Um, so if, if that's the case for some of these golfers, it doesn't make any sense to switch anything up. But if he has that flexibility and it feels like it give him an, an advantage, and like you said, a little bit of a home crowd boost, why not take that opportunity? But I, I feel like a lot of these golfers are just such creatures of habit that if on Sundays they wear certain colors, they're probably not pushing it up just because of the course they're playing on. We're talking with Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. Did anything NBA free agency, which you said you didn't pay a lot of attention to, did anything break through for you? Not really. I think that, you know, I think one of the trades that maybe will pay dividends as we look at it, you know, down the road might be like the Victor Oladipo trade to Miami. Yep. Um, I think, you know, Miami was was rumored to be going after him in free agency. He wanted to be there. Now they get the opportunity to, to see if he's a good fit long term. Um, you know, he's still battling back from a bunch of injuries, but I think that was the one trade I think you look at it can make a difference in May and June. Um, overall, though, what, what I think you've seen is a team in the net that has been able to take advantage of the signings that they made, uh, the trade with James Harden, and now they've got in Blake Griffin and uh, who's the other player? That's, well, Mark Walters now yep. is over there. Uh, so how well that works, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Kevin Durant hasn't played in, in almost a month and a half. So it'll be interesting to see what that team looks like when, when he comes back and gets integrated in there. But I think that's a team that's taken advantage of what they've done in free agency. They, they made that aggressive trade for James Harden, and now they're scouring the buyout market to make sure they have a deep enough team to make a run uh, this year and possibly next year. So... That's the one team I think that people will look at and said did the most this year in general with trades in the end of pre-agency market. But as far as like a blockbuster trade that I think swings them pendulum one way or the other, I I don't think anything major. Maybe the trade uh, to that um, Denver made with Aaron Gordon, maybe that had some significance as as we move along. You know, like another athletic big guy to pair with uh, Jokic and, and not put all of the, the pressure on him potentially to play down low and get the rebound, but I don't know if any of those trades maybe elevate those teams over, you know, like Milwaukee in the East or LA in the West. 
Finally, we have the NCAA tournament. Did anything from Saturday's play stick out to you? For me, it's Oral Roberts who was sticking around to the very, very end, and Arkansas is very lucky to win that game and get out of there. Yeah, that's my biggest takeaway. I didn't think Oral Roberts would have enough. You know, they played two very emotional games last week against Ohio State and Florida. Um, Arkansas had a nail-biter against Tech, but I thought athletically they would be able to give them problems, and Oral Roberts was able to stay with them and play good defense and, and made some big shots. Fortunately, um, you know, I was watching that game, and the person I was watching that game with, once the second half started, I said, it's going to be interesting because Oral Roberts in his two games have come from behind. They have a 10-point lead. Let's see where they're at with the 10-minute mark. Um, you know, if they still have a, a, a double-digit lead or, or if they wanted it, and unfortunately, I think the lead around the eight-minute uh, time I was only four. So I, I think it did start to wear on them a little bit. Um, and Arkansas just came at them in waves and played tough. But uh, Arkansas's method of, of play is going to be interesting to see if they can translate their, their play against Baylor, which we saw absolutely dominate Villanova in the second half in the paint yesterday. They were down seven, and if you look at the stats, they only made one jumper in the second half. They were three of 20 from three-point range and won that game pretty comfortably. So it's going to be interesting to see how that game unfolds tomorrow where you have two teams, I think, that want to play faster-paced games but have struggled from uh, behind the arc in this tournament and making threes. Um, and then one thing with today, and obviously a lot of people are going to listen to this after today, so we won't talk about what we think the outcomes of these two games are, but you got UCLA, Oregon, USC, Oregon State won on Saturday. They'll be playing on Monday. Um, what the Pac-12 has done is, um, you know, football-esque or, or, or back in a previous time when John Wooden was at UCLA and they were winning all kinds of, of championships, how... Excuse me. How surprised are you to see the Pac-12 playing this well? And UCLA, Alabama is like a a football powerhouse meeting a basketball powerhouse. And you look at Alabama, six and a half point favorites. It's just really a testament to how well the Crimson Tide have played on the court this year. Yeah, I think that's going to be the best game of the day. Uh, maybe mine, maybe Michigan State, Michigan and Florida State will be really, really competitive. But I think Michigan and I think uh, Utah, Alabama will be the best, the most entertaining game. Both of those teams, Middle uh, Alabama, like to shoot threes, uh, and UCLA has been playing better offensively lately. Um, and with the Pac-12, like we don't watch them, right? How many people stay up till eleven o'clock to watch these games? Especially this year, where the games were just had much juice because of the crowds not being there. I think a lot of it's been matchup. I think UCLA got very fortunate playing an Albuquerque Christian team in the second round. It's not their fault. Uh, they took advantage of it. Uh, USC um, actually dismantled Kansas last week. Uh, they had some very raw, talented prospects that uh, decided to put their game together to get late. And um, you look at Oregon State, and the run that they've been on has been absolutely amazing. They've won seven in a row in do-or-die competition, 
you would think that they, you know, would be fatigued or, or exhausted, and they've been able to outplay everybody that they they've come against the last seven games, and they've been quality competition. They beat um, what Colorado in the Pac-12 championship game. They beat Oregon in the semifinals. They beat um, who did they play in the first round? I can't even remember now. Um, they played a five seed, but they played a DC team. They they took it to Oklahoma State, and Loyola Chicago was never really in that game uh, against them the other day. So Oregon State's been on one of the more memorable runs in recent history with the way they've been playing. So the Pac-12, kudos to them. I mean, we've been talking all year about the Big Ten and the Big 12, and there's what, one team left in the Big 12 and one team left in the Big Ten? So, you know, kudos to the Pac-12 for showing the nation that they have some quality programs out there that can play in March. And, and to your point, Danny, Oregon State faced Tennessee in the first round, and they won that game by 14 points. Yeah, so, I mean, they've, they've won their game pretty convincingly, and I, I, who they play, they got, um, they Baylor? They they then faced um, um, Oklahoma State, e- easily beat them, and now they face um, Houston tomorrow night at 7.15 on CBS. Yeah, that'll be an interesting game. I'm, I'm not thoroughly impressed by Houston, um, but they they play a very specific sort of style that maybe Oregon State's not used to. Um, that's going to be a grinded-out type of game, I think, because Houston's going to want to crash the glass and play strong defense and Oregon State's going to have to come up with some really good offensive possessions to beat them so yeah I mean God God bless them man they played they played absolutely wiped out the last seven seven games and it's nice to see a team like them that doesn't necessarily have the success in the national um, prestige that a lot of these other schools have you know had the opportunity to play like this uh, final thing, I, I love the phrase transfer portal. It brings up like a sci-fi kind of feel for it. When you hear that phrase, what comes to mind? What what image comes to mind in, in, in your head, Danny Flecka? I relate it to college free agency, right? I think that's what it is. And, you know, I think it's good and bad. One, it's good because... These kids get recruited by coaches that leave the program that they got recruited to and might not be able to have the same type of opportunity that they have with the previous regime. The bad I see is that what are these kids thinking in their recruitment process that makes them put their their decisions so quickly? And, you know, especially there aren't coaching changes or anything along those lines. So I, I think it's good in that sense that you know kids have an opportunity to pick where their future is going to be, but. I think more education and more diligence needs to be done by these players prior to picking their school too. Especially if they're transferring, you know, three or four times. Like, what, what, what are you doing? You know, you have to be able to put yourself in a better situation. So, um, I think of it as like college creations at the end of the day. Danny Flecka, thank you as always for coming on teeing it up. We greatly appreciate it. No problem, my man. Everybody. Enjoy the basketball today. We got only uh, a couple more more games left. So, yep. Enjoy uh, the NCAA tournament, and there's some fun golf out there. If if that's more your uh, 
your uh, more your mojo. Um, and opening day next week. What? And opening day next week. Yes, yes. Thursday the first will be here before we know it. Danny, thank you as always for coming on teeing it up. No problem, man. Have a good day. And enjoy your Sunday, everybody. Take care.